Time Limited Show with me, Ethan Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss why do feminists want to work for capitalists if Marxism is true? Tim, what, why did you come up with this idea? What, what interests you about feminism, capitalism, Marxism? What interests me about this is the, the, the observation that you have a lot of women working, in, and this includes upper class women, not just lower class or working class women, uh, working for firms which are capitalists, large employers. If you look at the old Marxist analysis, uh, uh, you generally view that capitalists are bad exploiters. So why would so the question is, why would you want to work for them? Um, I mean, you have these sort of girl power type feminists here that like, you know, that being career, career centric here. This seems very contrary. If, if, if in fact that Marxists are these sort of evil, if, if in the fact that capitalist employers are these sort of evil exploiters here. Now, of course, the women could become capitalists themselves. We have phenomena. For example, there was the CEO of Lockheed Martin for about seven years or so was a was a woman. Um, um, so 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 we have had this phenomenon of them coming, uh, uh, you know, capitalists or being employed by capitalists as compared to the traditional model, which isn't necessarily the traditional model uh, of being like, you know, housewives. This is the 1950s model here. Uh, now, again, that's more of the upper middle class because you have to remember, you know, in the 1920s, 1910s, like you have the mills and other things, girls and women worked here. But then again, the Marxists in general, this wasn't like this is one of these weird flip sides of a lot of feminists who think that women never worked here. They have a sort of strange view here. I mean, they would work in these sort of mills, weaver, weaving factories and so forth. And they were quite terrible conditions. So the, the first I'm going to get to the analysis here. The first statement one could do for the, the long question is uh, Marxism and false and just move along here. We're both pure capitalists, the sort of Hoppian, Rothbardian, Friedman tradition. Um, so, th- I mean, we, we basically think that is somewhat correct here. But interestingly, again, the Hoppians, which were sort of that, that uh, have more of an affinity in sort of dark behind the moon ways. Um, the, so just saying it's false and moving along is the Deidre, formerly Donald McCloskey man- maneuver here. She had a debate at the at the Oxford Forum um, with a feminist. Um, um, she in that debate to me sounds much worse than her, her her opponent. Her opponent was more clear. Her opponent said in order to abolish the patriarchy, we have to abolish capitalism. Um, um, so that so that option here that McCloskey did is Marxism is false. The Marxist theory of exploitation based on factor prices, unjust property access, acquisition of resources held in common and wage slavery. Again, McCloskey is a critic in that talk of wage slavery. She said it's the most annoying, one of the more annoying features of the Marxists is all basically false. Now, we did an episode on wage slavery, um, which, again, is you posted that somewhere and you got some proback from sort of classical liberal capitalists and classical liberal conservatives who don't like that idea. Um, but again, to go to back to the affinity point, you know, the pure capitalists are willing to admit that for a variety of reasons that, you know, oh, it's harder to open businesses. There's certain subsidies that are given to mega corporations and there's certain the statists uh, things that go that undermine other institutions here that would might exist in stronger form if the state went away. So I think her, um, I, this needs to be made because in the very Oxford date, she's critical, as was said. She, she cites a good Marx Brothers, Groucho Marx story of a poor Marxist who's starving, who asks his capitalist friend for a job, and he says, 
I don't want to exploit you. I don't want to hire you. That's actually a very good joke that Groucho Marx makes. It was probably the highlight of her speech here. Um, the trouble with feminism is that much of it seems to be or is Marxist of some kind or in practice. Um, this is uh, self-admitted to by many. I mean, if you drew a Venn diagram, many of them would have the, the feminists who identify with some version of the left. You know, if I went to Jacobin magazine or the Jimmy Dore show or any of these left-wing publications who identify as left-wing, someone on our forum or on our wide to abolish the state asks, how do we identify the left? One of the easy ways to do it is just self-identification. This is sort of a Wittgenstein way. I mean, if you identify as left, most of the people who identify as left are feminists. I mean, there are there might be anti-feminist right, left-wingers, but the amount are very small. So, so, so it's sort of like defining the contents of a very small box here. So, um, um, so, so I, in, in that way, her opponent is much more clear, at least in theory here. And, and McCloskey was defending firms, but it was, to me, very convoluted here. I encourage people to watch it here. I don't really want to re-explain her argument here because I think it's, I think it's somewhat convoluted in theory. Whether in practice it's actually true is of some question. I think we're going to get to that. I, I do think a clear position is the sort of traditional Catholic and the, the sort of traditional Protestant position before like 1980 for Protestants um, um, who criticized capitalism as being greedy, exploitative and too individualistic. This is like a G.K. Chesterton position almost. Um, um, but those types don't tell women to go work in factories. They're not girl power feminists or like, you know, go become the CEO of Lockheed or so forth, that they're not in that in that mold here. So that, to me, is a consistent position. But the, uh, the first position, to me, is inconsistent here. Capitalism is exploitive. So what should girls do? Girls should go, go out and work um, instead of raising their children. Peter Hitchens had a column here. There's some British MP woman, of course, who had brought her infant to there. And Peter Hitchens was like, why? Is this really a good place for, for a child here? Now, I mean, he didn't really care per se, um, 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 but he's just like, you know, isn't there a better thing to do for you to do with your time here? Now, if you want to say women need to work outside the home or become capitalists because they'd starve to death, that is reasonable. But I doubt that women MP who did it or some of these upper middle class women who or upper class women, that's their like. They're not going to starve to death. I highly doubt that woman who was the MP would have starved to death if she didn't take that job as a member of parliament or the Lockheed Martin CEO. Um, now she and so forth. There's other ones you could do. So so if this is where the want comes in. Now, interestingly, the middle class, the lower class, they'll work for like waiters or servers or like Amazon pickers. Um, and this is sort of the underpelly, interestingly enough. And Tyler Cowan, in one of his Hayek lectures, points out that modern women between like 20 and 35 work more outside of the home than they ever did in history. And they sort of work more than men in that category here. If you parse the data here, they work more hours than men. So it's, I mean, this is under like a sort of men sit around and play video games critique, which actually I think is sort of a good existential move. It's sort of the big town move here. But, you know, women between like 10, 10, 20 and 35 work on average, I think more hours that, and actually, there's a Catholic podcast here that I occasionally listen to, and they were pointing out that, like, hey, look, if you take the stereotype seriously, a lot of these service jobs are actually better for women. Um, if you just sort of take the stereotype seriously. Uh, and then if you combine the fact that with all the sort of hiring initiatives um, that occur, 
um, it, it becomes like a slam dunk here. And that's something that was Scott Adams was saying why he left his his job. He was in IT or something. And he's like, hey, they don't want I mean, they're they're basically only hiring them anyway. So, like again, to, to point to contrary to the, the paleos, um, I, why there wasn't a golden age, like both my grandmothers worked, but one of them worked for as a, in a factory sewing and the other worked as a secretary. I mean, but these are sort of like for them, it was more like they had to work in a sense. Now, again, there's always sort of the Amish men I like, critique. They say, you don't you can just live off less. And I do agree with that. But th- that's not really the condition for most of the sort of what I'll call girl power feminism that we see today. The career is Gloria Steinian type maneuver here. Um, so so why is this? Why is this happen here? Now, again, it could be an aversion to having children. That's obvious. Um, but many of these people do eventually get children at some point, or they don't have children, of course. So why is that? What 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 made careers? And again, in the sort of de facto society, we have this sort of corporate capitalist society. Again, it's not pure Rothbardian Hoppian capitalism, of course. Um, and many of these feminists come out of the Marxist left or overlap with them. But what 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 what's the initiative? What explains this? Swithin, any thoughts on my analysis or statements here? It's certainly true that uh, feminism really comes out of Marxism to a large extent. It's just an application of the class struggle between the capitalist and the proletariat, between men and women primarily. So you are correct that it is essentially uh, a Marxist. Um, well, not all feminists are Marxist, but certainly it would be undeniable that feminism has Marxist heritage. That's certainly true. Um so they then say, oh, we need to get rid of the patriarchy. Oh, and then women can be free. But as you point out, um, the existence in the current sort of economic order, which I think I've come around to saying something like state capitalism is probably the best description of it, um, provides uh, lots of sort of empowerment, inverted commas, for women to uh, be empowered with with, with corporations, etc., which um and if you identify that with sort of as the marxists typically do they call capitalism is the existing economic order well this has actually provided significant amounts of um advancement for careerist uh, women also i mean the big change that allows sort of careerism in women is uh, contraception and who developed contraception well it was the capitalists it was it was the western you know, it was the USA, it was Britain in the 19th century and the early 20th. Those are the ones who created it. And that's kind of created the conditions in which, um, you know, feminism can rise up. Now, the question arises, um, you know, is this the internal contradiction of, of, of capitalism in that it is, it is liberating women so that they can then uh, tear down the whole structure? I suppose you could take that kind of uh, line. Um, but... Um, it seems to be the case that it's only in industrial societies that um, heavily destroy societies in which feminism can actually work in a way. Um, well, that's seemingly for two reasons. One is a sort of contraceptive thing, which is one more reason. But also, I mean, if you have a situation where most of the work needs to be done by hand and there's relatively few, um, few, few powered tools, well, then it's kind of going to be obvious for manual work, men are just going to be better on average. I mean, 
it's clearly obvious. I mean, obviously there are some women who are stronger than some men, but on average, I mean, they're not going to do anything. And, and also there's, there's very few sort of hierarchies that they can sort of climb um, in that way. Now, um, in the, well, well, there are hierarchies to climb, um, but they're unlikely to climb them. And also, you know, the size of firm, et cetera, in the sort of pre-industrial period is lower. So I suppose then the Marxists might claim, ah, well, what we need is industrialization with uh, Marxism and economic progress, which is which is possible in principle. The science seems to be very good at doing it. Um, most of the um, sort of forced industrialization programs based on like um, Stalinist Russia or Maoist China didn't really seem to go particularly well. Um, so. It seems to be only in sort of like these were well, the, the capitalist state capitalist societies in which have industrialized pretty well. And, and, the, and those countries have now sort of industrialized insofar as they have been able to um, uh, reduce regulations and adopt more of a, let's say, state capitalist model rather than a, a direct top down manager, central planning, a, a, a less sort of directly centrally planned um, society. Um, now, of course, the Marxists could always claim, oh, well, yeah, this is kind of OK. It's better than it was before in like the pre-industrial period. But what we really need to do is to tear it down to bring in utopia, because this is kind of uh, an, an opium for women. Uh, this sort of corporate culture in which they can ascend hierarchies and get social status uh, by following the rules in the organization and climbing up. You know, we really need to sort of tear it down so they can be truly liberated. I mean, you could make that kind of claim from the Marxist position. Um, but it's certainly true that those countries which are more, quote unquote, more free market and less sort of centrally planned are the ones that provided the most options for women to invest in the workplace. Now, you can then get sort of like the individualist feminists who would kind of broadly agree with that kind of stuff. So the best example of that is probably, I think she's called Wendy McElroy, uh, who makes those sorts of arguments, says no industrialization sort of liberalized, uh, liberated women. But um, that kind of individualist streak in um, in women, in feminism is relatively small. You aren't right to point out that women have always worked, but the, the question is one of orientation. A lot of time when women worked, and they did, and they've always done historically, it's what was their main um, sort of orientation? Um, so you say your, your grandparent mothers worked, you know, but their primary role they would have perceived it as was would probably be focused around the home. They would work to get money to help run the household, but the primary focus was 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 the household. It wasn't external to it, and it was kind of a supplemental role. Um, and I think that's the big difference that feminism, as we get of the post Second World War, brings in, is uh, not just women working outside the home, but that the orientation of women is away from children and sort of the home, and more focused on the external world. And therefore, in that sense, is more um, similar to uh, the traditional sort of male view. Uh, that said, it hasn't entirely succeeded, because if you look at um, degrees that men and women do, um, the degrees that women do are pretty much people orientated, uh, which correlates with sort of what you might think is traditional female um, orientations, whereas men do things involving stuff in the external world and STEM fields and things. Uh, which at least to some extent explains wage differentials. Um, so those would be my overall 
introductory thoughts on the relationship between sort of capitalism, Marxism and feminism? One, one quick aside, which there a further irony is <clears throat> a further irony is they oftentimes view you, you said about men's work, women's work. There is a strange irony where women want to pursue a certain class of them want to pursue the most manliest jobs here. So this this just shows up in like military service too. You know they want to become like I don't know fighter pilots or like the CEO of Lockheed. This is I just think that's a hilarious I think it's a hilarious story here that exists here. And again the CIA recently came out with a with a very hilarious set of ads here, which basically said the CIA was defender of feminism here. I think the current I don't know if anyone's following the uh, Senate thing on this, but I think the current director of the CIA, we're talking about January 6th, is a woman as well. Um, so we get the um, we get the phenomena that, you know, what, what is it, it's, it sounds convolutably say that, you know, that they'll say that, you know, being a soldier or whatever is being a CEO is is uh, sort of like, you know, just about pursuing glory and individualism and hurting others. And then what do women turn around? Let's go do that. Now, again, it could be that being a soldier or being a CEO is actually a good thing and they sh- and we should do it. But if you were, if you go back to like, I don't know, Charles Dickens or anybody in like these sort of some of these critical, interestingly, the sort of right wing anti-capitalists are sort of interesting here. If you look at them and then you look at what modern feminists do, there's a really interesting, uh, uh, some really interesting uh, disparallels and parallels there that I must I must find. I must find odd. But I do think the sort of right wing capitalist position, which is pro family, makes more sense um, um, than this. Now, again, the origins are different, though. And, that, and that's where the things I that things get tricky here, because, like, for example, Ayn Rand. There's an interesting. I think FEE put a symposium on with Ayn Rand. Now, the FEE is more of like classical liberal, which makes sense here. I mean, Rand, of course, is a sort of militant anarchist objectivist here. She's not in the anarchist camp here. But um, <clears throat> one of the things we point out that a lot of most Ayn Rand fans are she's like she's like now again, she's like one of the more successful female writers here. Um, yet she herself is quite chauvinistic, shall we say. Uh, and her characters, again, are quite chauvinistic. So someone asked, you know, why are most of her fans male? Uh, it, it is an interesting thing that some of the more successful things. And again, you have to point out that again, yeah, there's a lot of problems with her. But Margaret Thatcher, again, he's a woman in politics here. Um, she, but she again, she she sort of ran as a she sort of did it in the, the of, of of some kind of right. Now again, you can always come up with Deeks and probably many of them. You probably know them better than I do. But um, it is interesting. You do get certain women in in there. Um, but it, it's always to me, to me, it's it's always sort of dodgy, considering what the left thinks of the military in general. Now, maybe they like the Red Army because it defeated fascism, but they're not. I doubt they're very big defenders of invading Argentina or the Falklands or big defenders of uh, what Lockheed does. What do you make of those comments here? You know, Swithin, like, the, would you agree with the sort of right wing capitalist position? Now, we can disagree with over the technical points of like profits and things like that. But like in a in a theoretical way, don't you think that makes more sense? What do you make of that, Swithin? Well, I I do think that there are some women who do have uh who are uh, very ambitious, and I think there are some. There's not very many of them. I mean, interesting with the, the CEO stuff. The by far the best paid CEO in England is female. She is uh, the CEO of Bet365, 
again, interestingly, an organization you probably, well, if you look at betting, it's typically men who bet. Um, yeah, and interestingly, betting, if you take the 1920s feminists, they want, that's probably a list of things they ban because they view it as a sort of like a, just their husbands would waste all their money on uh, gambling. So if you, it, that's another further irony there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, certainly amongst the sort of upper middle class um, feminists, which is what the original ones were really to a large extent. And um, she gets paid per year almost – the entirety of all the other CEOs of all the FTSE 100 companies, that is the top 100 firms on the stock exchange as measured by market capitalization, which is the current share price times number of shares. She earns almost uh, what all they earn combined. Last year, she paid herself £421 million per year in a year. And the previous year, she paid like 300 and something million. Um, she is seriously unpoor, to put it mildly. Um, and so you do get this. And you are right, the irony about, oh, no, we don't like military. That, that's toxic masculinity is all about the military. Oh, no, but we'll applaud lots of women in, in, in the military as well. Um, I mean, this reminds me, um, the film critic Mark Kermode always pointed out this was a ridiculous thing, although he he's not doesn't object to this per se. There's a film from 1996 called Courage Under Fire, where Meg Ryan is a military helicopter pilot, um, which he just said was ridiculous and made zero sense. Um, now, he, he he has no objection to sort of women in the military per se. He's a leftist. Uh, but I, that did bring that, that to mind. Um, but, yeah, the, the irony is we don't like war, war is bad, but then, oh, well, we'll have um, we'll have women in the military, which is kind of why are you doing that? Although, as Keith Preston has pointed out, um, it seems to me the, the military these days is sort of, to a large extent, turning itself into more like a militarized wing of um, the public schools, um, whereas all the proper fighting is sort of like outsourced to sort of specialist military contractors. Um, so there, there, could, there could be that kind of change. But the thing is, why... I, I also quick quick question. Quick. I also want to add a further aside. Uh, a lot of the, uh, to, to that, the, a lot of the military at this point is support role. It's not combat. Like I mean, you know. If you look at like the workings of a ship or workings of like U.S. like to I think to support one troop in Iraq it requires like you know you have to have like a cargo plane flying back and forth you need to have ships going in there there's a huge amount of support roles that go into it so like as far as combat is concerned it is only a very small front and your point about the special forces being like you know this is this is the flip side then you have the special forces which are heavy like Jocko types which are much more males. Now, they did change – this was pointed out by Todd Lewis, and I, I've now looked read this, and this isn't true. They did change some of the standards. But to be fair, a lot of things, like being a sniper, for example, it's not entirely clear you need to be a big macho man to be a sniper. So this goes back to the industrialization point. You know, helicopter pilots, those things, you know, they can be in theory done by women. There's no – in this regard, technology, including, like, has liberated it, not necessarily the system necessarily here. So it is true that the military is somewhat of a make-work program, but in a certain way, that's always been that the case. Um, but it is it is strange that they want to work in. But you keep going on your point there. I just wanted to add that. No, you're, you're, you're entirely right with the bureau, bureaucratic infrastructure and stuff. So the question is, if you're a soldier, you know, are you actually a soldier? Because some of them could well be medics, um, which, again, the traditional sort of female role. 
um but they have some sort of combat training but they're not really in the front line so it, it is difficult to sort of like make the distinction as to what 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 they're actually doing um but i think the, the again in line with their marxist heritage the feminist movement is very much defined about what it's against more than what it is for so because it's basically to us as a negative ideology um anything which is subversive inverted commas or uh or, or what's another good what's another good term it's um so I can't, I can't think of another uh, another good term of, at, at the moment. It must be supported because it's a way of sort of um, undermining the current status quo. And so they're always like trans. They, always, they, they perceive those things as sort of transgressive acts. And this is a way of bringing down the system and, and changing it. Uh, and this is how you get like Hollywood producing these sort of feminist and sort of uh, anti-racialist tracks. And I all know how subversive it is. It's like, nah, it might be subversive like 60 years ago, but since you basically control the Hollywood and the media since like the 1950s almost, frankly, that's uninteresting in the extreme. Um, but they still have this sort of mentality. It's the same type of thing that the of P person who still still seems to think that we're somehow run by uh, right wing Christian fundamentalists. They're always lurking. They're sort of behind the or, surface, or they everything. Think- or they think the literal Ku Klux Klan or like Cecil Rhodes is in charge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's wearing white hoods in, in the uh, in the background. You can't see him. Just just got the white hoods everywhere. And and it's like what this is just just doesn't bear any resemblance to reality in any way, shape or form. Um. So yeah, I I think again with the military and and also oh this is hilarious. I remember seeing an advert for um some drama series about the fire brigade and there's like this female like uh fireman and i'm like you just simply cannot be one you gotta like pull people out of burning buildings you're like eight stone you're tiny like this simply makes no sense but it's like oh no we put it in and it's, it's all kind of real it's realistic it's just, it's gritty it's like no it's not it's ridiculous it never happened um but the, the the whole point i think as well though is related to um to the military is is a way of sort of undermining sort of traditional femininity and masculinity it it's all sort of like on on, on a scale and anyone can be whatever they want although as we said before uh, you know masculinity is kind of bad except when women do it when it's okay and increasingly when men do it in drag at which point it's fine um but if if, if they're not in drag then it's not but it, again it's it, it's it's the whole leftist mentality it's it's just defined about what it's against and so it's just a collection of pot shots which you at a current existing order which if you try to sort of synthesize would make zero sense um i i think that's what we're faced with here really to further add this is what this is probably now we're sort of getting to the central issue here here and this is your, your point about being negative the ideology i think is entirely true here so um like what would what would uh we've done a number of episodes like what would the ideals uh punishment look like or what would the ideal police look like if any if or if there would be any need for it. um and this sort of is the thing that they don't go after here um um you know like should marxists be pro-family here now that sounds like a sort of strange question and now again this is where the, the sort of right-wing anti-capitalists sort of the catholic protestant ones that are anti calists they're they're somewhat interesting to read here because they're sort of hyper pro-family they have these sort of communes here 
But if you look at like the actual existing communes, like the Hutterites, they're they're very much segregated by by the sexes here. And I think from my understanding, uh, I was reading something into this before this episode. Yaron Brooks was talking about this, which again, it's interesting here. Yaron Brooks is would I'm not sure if he ever said he was a feminist, but he definitely wouldn't classify as anti-feminist. But they were looking at some of the early like Israel's again, you can be critical of Israel, but some of the early set up communes there, you know, they'd be gender segregated here. Uh, so you might have the men doing some, I don't know, they were building like buildings or something like that, and the women be, you know, in the support roles. This is what how do I division of labor is here. So if you look at sort of an ideal society here, um, it's quite interesting here that, you know, if you sort of try to answer that question, rather than just saying, defining what you're against here. Um, one one popular film that I think is a very sneakily subversive in the way that which which if you point it out, people will get annoyed. This, this is one reason sometimes I like to do it, is the final Hunger Games movie. Again, some people on the right laugh when I make this analysis, but Katniss Everdeen gives up the revolution and basically goes back to a farm and raises her child. This is a very strange message here for a modern film. This is not like, you know, sometimes, I'm just like sometimes like modern films surprise me here. And that's the modern film that totally surprised me, that ending on it. Of course, I didn't read the books here. But um, I, I did watch some of the movies here. I was dragged to the first one, but I thought it was actually an interesting story, at least in theory. I like the concept because I think there's third world as tendencies in there. Um, but um, that's an interesting. So I think that's in your point about movies being like, oh, a women fighter pilot. These things, these things have been so overdone. It's not even like, but but, and I think the hardcore Marxists are correct, and they do. They're correct to dislike like Margaret Thatcher. Like they don't let they don't let Margaret Thatcher's, you know, gender or and same with Ayn, Ayn Rand. They don't like Ayn Rand. David Graeber is very critical of Ayn Rand here. Um, he was making fun of Ayn Rand um, on one of the talks I was listening to. Um, now, if I said, oh, David Graeber, you're only doing that because you're a sexist. He would probably laugh at me. But And he's correct to laugh at me because that's a sort of spurious comment that has no basis here. But I do I do think the hard the hardcore Marxists, at least in theory, and this is why Zizek, interestingly enough, will at times get himself into trouble here. I mean Zizek is this sort of flamboyant guy here, uh, uh, uh in that regard. And in some of the ex communist states, they're sort of becoming somewhat mildly reactionary in a certain way. Now again, whether they're just gonna eventually catch up or catch behind to what the U.S. and Britain are, parts of Germany are, is of some question. But uh, that that's an, that that would be my comment there. Um, on that 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 I think they're correct to go after them. But but the the sort of what 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 society ought to be is the interesting question here. Because a family, if you look at a family, a family is a kind of non-moneyed gift economy. If you want to really think about it, uh, and it's somewhat. It's not. It's not. It's not strictly anti-egalitarian. Well, it's depending on the, the structure of here, and that's actually interesting about modernity here. Is like you get sort of these Quaker, the Quaker marriage ideals with the help meet George Fox and his wife. Um, this, this is this is if anyone this is Moldbug basically agrees. I, my analysis plus Moldbugs. I basically agree the Quakers invented modern marriage here. Um, 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 it sort of went around the world here. But through that, you've help meet partnerships. If you that in, in theory is reasonable, um, but but if you combine this with this girl power feminist, then things get kind of insane here because what you have is two functionally males here. 
and no one's there to raise the children here. So you just basically your goal is just to make a lot of money um, and you just sort of outsource your children raising if you even have any. Um, but again, making money in the capitalists for Marxists is sort of like being the good burglar. It's not really it's not really necessarily a good thing. Now, maybe being a good something or other is a good thing, like a good piano player. So in that regard, I think I might be being unfair to them. Um, but but it is, it is the case that the family remains to be a sort of non-moneyed economy, and they sort of want to do away with it and replace it with the bureaucratic state or you know some sort of commune. But if you look at actual existing communes, of course, they're quite – reactionary in form. Now, again, you can find communes that aren't that way. And that probably is because of demographics. Demographics underlie a lot of things because people who don't have children don't really have any future here. They sort of die out after one generation here. So that always underlies a lot of this stuff. I think I've heard you make this argument somewhere else as well. Um, um, but those will be my second round of comments here, Swithin. Do you have any comments add about like the, the points I made about the communes being somewhat reactionary internally or or, of course, why the hardcore Marxists still hate Margaret Thatcher, even though, you know, that that view is clear, as well, of course, the sort of right wing anti-capitalist. I think the reason why the left hate Margaret Thatcher and Mime Rand um, is because they're basic. I think they perceive them as the sort of the, the, the female version of the coconut Uncle Tom is they they are sort of uh, gender traitors. And therefore should be denounced with great uh, vociferousness. I think that is uh, what the main thing is. And also, as an aside, um, in general, if you look at survey data, people prefer male bosses to female ones, and especially women prefer male bosses to female bosses than um, men. Men care about women and um, male bosses. Uh, so I, I think in general, just a general dislike of. Of especially women in power i think that's i think that's just generally true now why it's true or you say it's sexism or whatever i just think it, it 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 is the case interesting with rand rand has a uh, an interview i think oh, it was in the 70s she actually opposed any any woman becoming president of the united states because president of the united states is the commander-in-chief and being head of a military is just not a, a an appropriate role for a woman and that's what i'm rand said uh, which he got sort of laughed at by this in the 70s, but um, I think it was the 70s. Um, so I, I, that, that is interesting uh, with respect to Rand. With respect to the family and the gift economy, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it is an unmoneyed gift economy, which, of course, then should be a good thing. And, and of course, this is sort of like what the right-wing anti-capitalist would say. Uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is kind of what we want. The criticism, though, that the Marxists have, say, the family, I mean, they might go, well, traditionally, like the 19th century, had like coverture agreements. And uh, women couldn't own property, uh, etc., uh, if they were married, which they did sort of get rid of. Although they always forget that, well, if the woman committed a crime, her husband would be held responsible for it. Um, that's kind of ignored now, which made a bigger difference is another question. But it is at least interesting that, that is that is the case. That said, though, I mean, why focus on the fact that women can get property or not? I mean, property is is well, wasn't really theft. Proudhon didn't really mean that. Um, but um, we meant um, certain types of ill-gotten property. Um, but, you know, why focus on this sort of moneyed aspect? Surely we should be trying to expand the family and, um, you know, create this, uh, this gift economy. Now, I suppose you could say, 
well, what you need, you need women to sort of break the family and then to go into the corporations and then ultimately then to bring down capitalism. So then we have this world sort of commune. But as you point out, I mean, communes are simply, um, if they do work, they're, they're going to be sort of pretty reactionary. As Todd Lewis likes to point out, um, if you look at the um, uh, the communists, the Bolsheviks, they're really socially conservative. Uh, well, at least after the early time when they sort of, um, under Leninism, uh, they uh, tried some communes that didn't work. And then sort of under Stalin, it particularly became very socially conservative. I mean, that's kind of what you're going to get. I mean, you're going to need to sort of, um, for it to be stable, that's kind of going to be required because you basically just don't want feral children because they'll come up, turn up to feral adults and then society has problems. Um, but I, I do think it should be interesting, you know, to turn around to a Marxist feminist to go, why are you, why, are you for, are you for gift economies? And it's like, oh yes, I'm really supportive of the gift economies and not money. It's like, what about the family then? Isn't that a money gift economy? And that'd be an interesting rhetorical move. I I don't know how they'd respond to it. Um, they'd probably say, oh no, it was an arranged marriage or some sort of power dynamic thing. But it's like, yeah, but it's still a gift economy. Um, so yeah, th- th- those would be sort of my sort of thoughts on your previous comments. Now, my third line of questions slash comments here is with respect to the current existing things. I sort of hinted this at the point with Tyler Callowan's lecture here, uh, and I, I sort of want to ask you and sort of make my own comments. But why exactly does Deidre McCloskey think this way? Is is Deidre McCloskey right? Um, now we can sort of we just argued sort of we just discussed and really argued we sort of agree that the theory behind how her theory in a way is convoluted in a sense here. But although if you go to Marxism, it sort of views capitalism as a sort of midwife um, to birth the uh, future egalitarian society, interestingly enough. So Marx praises capitalism in a sort of backhanded way, is breaking down the rule of theocracy. I always, I always find that hilarious there. But if you take, if you take that seriously here, you know, why does Deidre McCloskey think that way? Is she correct to think that way? You know, a lot of classical, she's a minarchist. She's a classical liberal. She's like a sort of welfare state capitalist here. Um, but she's very supportive of it. And uh, she, she I mean, she made a lot of fine points in that debate um, with respect to I do. I do think that, you know, the modern the modern society is probably has advanced women in with respect to legally and economically more so than any other time in human history here. If you take if you if you view like profit and you know, consumer goods and access to sort of things like that as your standard, which, again, whether that should be the standard or not, is there some question here? Um, and again, it's worth pointing out that, like, in the sort of actual communist countries, they're, quote unquote, quote unquote, further behind. I'll, I will say that that is sort of a funny side effect here in places like Romania. Uh, I should be careful. Poland, Ukraine and Russia. Now, of course, the Grabers and others would point out that they were sort of further. They're just more closer to serfdom. Than the United States and Britain and Germany are, and they are correct that they are more closer to serfdom. But there was never a woman premier of, or party leader of either China or uh, Russia or whatever USSR. Um, um, so, so is is Deidre McCloskey right to support? Are like are modern day feminists the biggest defenders of current existing? Again, this is not pure capitalism. This is one of the irritations I have with people like David Graeber. David Graeber was saying that like, oh, 
uh, Obamacare marketplace is actually an example. This is sort of like a corporate subsidy given to healthcare to provide access to lower. This is not free market capitalism, the Hoppe and Friedman tradition um, at all. This is like the opposite of it. It's highly regulated, it's subsidies. But the, the current existing, what we call, what they call capitalism or maybe neoliberalism, are they the biggest defenders now, and beneficiaries, now, this is where beneficiary is sort of interesting word here, because in a way, if you look at happiness surveys, are they really, quote unquote, happy? Because a lot of them seem unhappy, so maybe they're not beneficiaries, but are they at least in a way the sort of biggest supporters? Because again, as I pointed out on the other episode with Natty, certain governments in Northern Europe are full of women, they're like 75, 80% women in like their parliament makeup. Some of them will fluctuate, of course, but but are they sort of the currently Swithin? What do you make of that? I think that it's certainly the case that if you look at um, sort of the the mainstream sort of influential feminist movement, they are no longer overtly Marxist in any way. They're really sort of welfare state capitalists, uh, and this is sort of in general sort of a move away from sort of traditional economic economically based Marxism to sort of like um, identity politics, sort of oppression Olympics type stuff, which starts really sort of in the 1980s. Um, And I think that's partially because women kind of realize that, well, the feminists do, that actually this sort of um, welfare state capitalist system is a really good system for them uh, for two reasons. One, well, they've got the corporation that they can sort of, uh, they can climb up in and, you know, go girl power. And then they can also go, well, you know, we still don't need men. Why? Because we've got the welfare state. So if things go bad, well, you know, we can get bailed out by uh, the other daddy. And so you effectively have this weird sort of polyandric position uh, in sort of welfare state capitalism that women can be married to the, the state and the corporation, uh, which is a way of sort of maintaining their sort of um, uh, social position. Uh, and sort of uh, advancing uh, sort of quote unquote their interests. Uh, but um, as one feminist pointed out, she's more of like a an individualist feminist. If you look at women in the workplace, most women just do part time jobs and they clearly have very little career interest at all. And if you look at the standard deviation of, of incomes uh, between women, it's massive, much more than men. Oh, well, no, that might not be true. If you look at the median, I think. Uh, oh, no, what I'm going to say is this: it's hard to say. quantifying is difficult because there's some minimum astonishing amounts. So the standard deviation is really big. But if you look at like if you look like a curve, there's loads of women who don't earn very much, and then there's very few and a lot more. Whereas there's much more of an obvious sort of bell curve with men. Not many earn the very little. Most of them are kind of in the middle. So distribution is different. Uh, because there aren't that many women who actually care that much to sort of like climb. Now, there are more than there used to be. Now, whether or not they're better off or not is another question. I do think it's funny uh, in sort of a, a bleak sense. Uh, they're always going to have, oh, no, if you look at girls' mental health in schools, it's always going down over time. You look at the self-report studies, you know, they, they, they feel their self-reported happiness is down. And I'm like, oh, no, this must, and then, oh, no, this must be because of sexism and stuff. It's like, um, I'm pretty sure by your standards. 1950s and 60s was way more sexist than it is now, but somehow they were happier. Hmm. I, I'm not sure that reducing sexism and, is the solution. 
And what's further funny is like three quarters to like nine tenths of the like significant number of primary and middle school teachers are women. Like that's that's a further funny thing statement. So like where are they getting this from? <laughs> it's <laughs> keep going. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, it, it's um, yeah, I mean, in schools, it, it's all it's all it's all sort of a uh, female environment pretty much. Uh, only when you sort of like get to secondary school, but even there, it's mostly sort of um, to a large extent female, especially in um, English and the humanities. Um, so you know, oh no, it's patriarchy. It's like I'm pretty sure it's not been doing very much. Um, so it's yeah, I I think yes, the current situation allows them to earn. Um, earn more money than you otherwise would but whether it really makes women happy is another question um, so to, to, sorry to interrupt again but so to ask the question is Deidre McCluskey right if you were to um, take the position which you're not going to but if you were to hypothetically take the position would you how would you take the Deidre McCluskey side yeah. of the debate um, oh yeah and, yeah and, and why? clearly clearly I mean if I was like yeah yeah girl power um gotta get to the top I mean Corporations provided brilliant source of uh, of this, um, and you know the the advancement of technology, quote unquote, sort of state capitalism's produced of our sort of female advancement. I'd also say, although McCloskey might not like me making this argument, but corporations are perfect for women because, on average, they are significantly less, uh, they're significantly more risk averse. So actually, getting that many female entrepreneurs as in they start from the ground up and actually an entrepreneur is going to be a lot fewer than men. Uh, and so they're unlikely to be founders and, and, and running companies that they have founded, but they're much more likely to climb up a company that already exists because, you know, it already exists as a corporate hierarchy. We can climb it with all the rules. We can be conscientious. We can get there. Plays to female strengths. Um, so now McCoskey might not like the argument, but um, I do think that's why a corporation is really good if you want a sort of female advancement in the workplace. Because if you have smaller firms and there's there's more of them, there's less sort of climb and how to get to the top really is to run one. And well, because you could run one that's been founded by somebody else, but um, you, you're not going to get, if, if you have a society where you have relatively small firms, which are mostly owned and run and um, started by the founder, well, obviously the founder is a starter, then uh, you get fewer women in higher places. Quick, quick interruption here again. Um, small family firms tend to actually look ironically like families. Like if you look at small restaurants run by families, like like they look like families, which again goes back to the sort of, you know, the premise number one, which, you know, they'll say, well, that's just an extension of the patriarchy. Have a, the, guy, the husband owns the restaurant. He might employ his children from time to time. You know, the wife does certain aspects. Many small businesses, contracting businesses, restaurants, they sort of have this basic makeup here that where, you know, certain groups will assist, you know, and so forth. But then again, the large firms, of course, which the left is very critical of, except Ben Burgess. Ben Burgess is honest. Ben Burgess wrote a, I think, not Ben Burgess. No, no, Matt Brunig. Matt Brunig wrote an article for Jackman in defense of mega corporations. Um, uh, not, it wasn't entitled that, but it's more or less, that's the actual, should be the title here. Um, but small businesses, especially the honest ones, so to speak, you know, like your piano tuners and your plumbers, you might have certain aspects of people doing assistance roles. But it looks it looks again, it's sort of like how the Hutterite communities look. 
they look more quote unquote reactionary there. So I thought I'd add that interruption there. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. Thought. With corporations as well, and the reason why female advancement is um, small firms tend to uh, are more personal, and so take sort of individual differences more seriously. Um, whereas corporations, what they like is they're big organizations and they're trying to control many, many sort of human resources, in particular, not people, but human resources. And they tr- the, the way they set up Tracy treats everybody as fungible. And so everyone's kind of this interchangeable unit in this greater whole. And so in a sense, you would expect them to be the most egalitarian uh, or at least treat people that way because you kind of need to sort of like move them around and sort of, you know, you're, you're just an individual. You're a number. You are just a human resource and we can manipulate you in the sort of the best way possible for the corporation. Um, whereas um, if it's more personalized on an individual basis, you probably get more um, be treated differently by sort of the smaller firm because you don't have this ridiculous, oh, we must follow procedure type thing because you can just do what makes sense. Um, so, yeah, corporations or, or in general, larger organizations in general are going to basically depersonalized in a sense they're going to degenderize. Um, and I think large uh, government bureaucracies would do the same uh, to a large extent. Um, so I, I, I do think it's possible to have sort of more welfare and less capitalism and be able to, to do this. I mean, as I, in principle, I, I can see the Marxist feminists having sort of like this utopia of them being able to climb the Politburo. I think that's possible. Uh, but given the, the state on the ground, well, it is sort of like state capitalism, which has provided the advancement of women on their terms. I think that's undeniably true. I will add one more final comment and question for you. Uh, this also explains one of the tensions. One of our sort of niche issues is is disputes within libertarianism here. And one of the disputes between libertarianism, of course, between the sort of like Kevin Carson, Nick Gillespie, I'll throw in there too. Sometimes Yaron Books and Jeffrey Tucker too. And sort of, of course, like the Rothbard Hoppe, I don't know, right coalition here. And there's some centrists too. Um, is the issue of women, feminism, and so forth, where the sort of right ones, they're either indifferent or not, if not supportive of certain disparities. And of course, the sort of more liberal or left-minded ones are less supportive here. Now, I do think Nick Gillespie would just, I think Nick Gillespie actually interviewed Deidre McCloskey. I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. I could be misremembering that. I don't, don't quote me on that. But it is interesting that like the reason types, they will very much go along with um, and they'll 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 go after like the pay gap myth saying like if capitalist employers and it's a correct argument if capitalist employers are so greedy why don't they hire women if the pay gap is true it's not really true as it suggests now there are some feminists who make these sort of more abstract criticisms and say well you know these things should be valued more but then that goes back to our comment two things where it's like you know why is being working for a gambling firm more valuable I mean, this is where it's like, why do you want to be in that organization here? And then David Graeber, then you should oppose problem with the Chomsky Graeber problem, where they have a sort of fundamental disagreement, just which they don't, they're not too public about it. They sort of hide this. They sort of hide this here because they know it's a contentious topic here. But I do think it's one of the issues that's within libertarianism um, um, that sort of falls apart. That, that sort of has disputes here. I think one of the reasons I want to do this discussion was here was to sort of highlight you know, where the two camps are 
and where the two camps might be. I, I, I enjoyed doing this discussion here. I think you would agree with that. There's a sort of point of contention between like the Carsons and Gillespie's versus the, you know, the PFS type people. Would you agree? And thanks for doing. I don't really have any more final comments with it. I enjoyed doing this. Um, they would. Um, no, I, I think that the reason times are reasonably interesting in the pay gap. The best example of this. Who I can't remember who did the video, but Steve Horwitz, um, recently deceased, did a video on the pay gap. And um, he said that basically the pay gap was a myth. Um, but he said, but the underlying argument, which I think kind of the um, the reason types to buy into Horwitz was saying that, um, oh, well, the reason why women earn less is because they do like humanities degrees, which for whatever reason pay less. Probably because people care about like cool stuff that like, makes their life better, which is kind of STEM uh, related fields. You know, oh, we need someone to fix the boiler. We don't need someone to write me in the novel. I mean, novels are kind of nice, but I kind of prefer that the boiler works. Um, so he didn't go into that, but I, I suspect that's one of the reasons why you have the difference in wages. And he was saying, well, it was a cultural issue. So they might then say, yeah, the pay gap is a myth as it's pre presented, but it's still kind of a problem because there's some sort of like latent uh, patriarchy, which needs to be purged, and we need to sort of like uh, advance equalitarianism so that uh, men and women have the, the same sort of interests. But quick, sorry to interrupt again, but you do agree that Swith and that, uh, like, that Tucker, uh, Gillespie, and Carson all would, they weren't, they, none of them would identify as anti feminists. Correct. Oh no, 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 no. Certainly, certainly wouldn't. They wouldn't. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, it, they can be pretty good on the technical aspects of of, of of the pay gap. But then they'll go. We need a more deep-rooted problem, and they may go say, "Oh no, there's this underlying social issue that needs to be dealt with." And it's kind of you know, like, you know, the marketplace isn't to blame. It's kind of culture, and it's like deep-seated things that are there. But yeah, certainly they they probably identify as feminists. And I mean, so Carson, for instance, would think that. Um, you know, along with sort of income, greater levels of income equality under, free, under the freed market, you'd also get greater levels of egalitarianism, et cetera, et cetera, between men and women. I mean, it's almost certainly he would, he, he would, he would say that. Um, and it, it, is, it is a bone of contention. But again, I think the, the real bone of contention there is really the vision of the, the ideal society. The ideal society amongst sort of like... Um, I should say the more leftist of the libertarians, although you may not necessarily consider themselves left libertarians as such, would be kind of cosmopolitan, sort of deracinated individuals. Oh, that's kind of unfair, say deracinated. But you know, people of the world, they're not constrained by their upbringing. They can self-actualize themselves as individuals as being individuals. Um, and so, you know, we should, uh, whilst bizarrely implying that that sort of traditional feminine feminine stuff is kind of bad and more masculine stuff is good but that's kind of part of the vision you know should be all out you know getting money and earning and that kind of thing whereas the right libertarians are kind of more um sympathetic to the idea that you know the sexual division of labor kind of makes sense and is kind of good as part of an old society um so really that's where all the disputes lies you know if you were to create an ideal society um which you know still had crime you know we're not going to go well, super utopia well, obviously no crime well actually even if you said no crime you know what would it look like what would people do uh although i suppose you could then go and oh, no, no one died well, i suppose you could avoid <laughs> then it gets a little bit even more difficult so i, I think that's that's just the real sort of uh, difference between them. 
but uh, it's been an interesting topic. And now I'd just like to thank everyone listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The more subscribers you get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And if you want to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.